Today we begin a brand new sermon series on discernment. So we're going to go to class today. We're going to kind of um, go to school today. So I hope you'll get your pen out, jot down some things that uh, kind of stand out to you that you want to remember. Also, always keep in mind that I'm happy to email the very notes that I use up here every Sunday to preach from. I will send those to you if you just send me an email at feral at whitleychurch.com. I will send you these sermon notes out. So our series today is on discernment, seeing beyond the surface. Life, life is a series of choices, a series of decisions. Whatever the quality of your life this morning, it is a direct result of your decisions in life. It's a direct result of the choices you have made. Therefore, making wise life decisions is critical. There's an incredible thing about making right choices, making right decisions. There's going to be a lot of that today. So y'all with me? Can y'all deal with that today? Um, if you make a, a lot of bad decisions in your life and it, and it makes the quality of your life um, not good, not healthy, not, um, not something you enjoy. There's an amazing thing that happens when you stop making bad decisions and you start making good ones. It's amazing how quickly things turn around in your life. So I want to just say to those of you who are here today who the enemy would say to you, you've made too many bad decisions and you're never going to be able to turn things around. I want to say to you today very bluntly that that's a lie. Because if you will start making right decisions today, if you will receive Christ into your heart today and make him king and Lord of your life and begin to make right decisions based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you will be amazed at how quickly the quality of your life begins to get much better and rise very quickly. So those of you who are young, remember that, of course. But even those of you who are sort of young like me, it um, doesn't matter where you are in life. You can start making good decisions right now. And if you will, the quality of your life will immediately begin to rise. So understanding that life is a series of choices and understanding that the quality of the life that we live right now is a direct result of the choices we have made, then we're going to ask some questions. Like, what is the criteria that will ensure that we make the best choices for our life. What, what, what's the criteria? How do we make quality choices that will guarantee at the end of our life that we can look back over our life and be grateful because we see God's blessing and we see God's favor? What is it we can do that when we get to the end of our life, we're able to look back and say, God was with me, God's hand was on me, there's a blessing, there's a blessing, God kept me all the way, and you enjoyed his favor. What, what can we do now to ensure that we have these blessings in our life? Well, we're going to answer these questions and more in this sermon series. Now, the introduction to a sermon is really, really important, especially the introduction to a sermon series is really, really important. So there was a whole nother way I could have introduced this sermon today. 
And I'll tell you all, when I'm preparing my messages, one of the things that I work hardest on is how I open up the sermons because that's going to determine whether or not you decide you're going to listen to the rest of it. And I'm hoping you will. But I started to begin this sermon series like this. I started to say, what is the greatest need in the church today? What is the greatest need in the church today? Or I could have said, what is the biggest problem in Christianity? And I gotta tell you that my answer to that would have been a lack of discernment. A lack of spiritual discrimination. So let's begin by deciding what discernment is. The definition that I'm going to use today is this one. Discernment is the ability to quickly perceive whether such things as people, events, or beliefs are from God or Satan. There's some key words in there, ability, actually supernatural ability, quickly perceive such things as people, events, and beliefs, whether they're from God or whether they're from Satan. Let's talk about discernment a little bit. Discerning Christians know that Satan and his demons disguise themselves as holy. We're told that in 1 Corinthians 11. And I've got scripture references. There are going to be many scripture references up on the screen today. You're probably not going to be able to write all of them down. Again, I'll be happy to send these notes to you. But discerning Christians know that the enemy constantly disguises himself as holy. He never comes at you the way he really is because if he did, you wouldn't receive him. So he has to disguise himself so you will receive him. Discerning Christians know that Satan empowers counterfeit miracles. And there's scripture for that. And he empowers these counterfeit miracles to deceive people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Discerning Christians know that he empowers false teachers. The enemy does. Satan empowers false teachers. He empowers false prophets. He empowers false apostles and false doctrines. Can I just admit something to you this morning? I love sermons that when I get through preaching those sermons, you are pumped and you're excited. And you say, Pastor, that just has motivated me to draw nearer to God and and really get back on track and get on fire for God and go out there and win my community for Jesus Christ. And I love sermons that when we go out of here, we go out of here feeling great. Well, You're going to go out of here feeling great today, but you're going to go out of here today having been called to soberness. Soberness. How many of you know that that church can become one big party so much that we are never really sober about the things that threaten us? We got to know what's out there threatening us, okay? So we're going to talk about that today. Now let me talk to you about three kinds of discernment, three kinds. First of all, there is natural discernment. That means the, the discernment that a person who doesn't have Christ, doesn't, hasn't received Christ, doesn't know Christ as their personal savior. There is a level of discernment that we have even before we know Jesus. Um, we could call it logic, we could call it reasoning, 
what do we call it most of the time? Common sense. Common sense. Well, you say, well, but that discernment is always in error, isn't it? No. Didn't you discern before you knew Jesus that you needed Jesus? So that's some pretty good discernment right there, isn't it? So even the natural discernment um, God has put in you so you'll be able to look at the situation and go, you know what? I'm pretty sure I need Jesus in my life as I look around. I, I got to tell you, if I, was, if I wasn't serving Jesus right now, if I wasn't a Christian, and I turned my television on, I would go, I think it might be time to go ahead and make that decision. Isn't that the truth? You guys seeing what I'm seeing out there? The king is coming. And so we need, to, we need to make our commitment to him. So there's the natural level of discernment. Then there is a level of discernment that is supernatural that comes on every person who accepts Christ. So when you accept Jesus Christ, no longer do you just walk in natural discernment, but now you go to an H&L, <laughs> whole nother level, and, and um, you, uh, you have a Excuse me, you have a spiritual or a supernatural discernment. Time out. Okay, so we have natural discernment, and then we have supernatural discernment that comes when we accept Christ into our heart. Well, then there's a third level of discernment that is a spiritual gift, the gift of discernment, okay? So we're going to talk about the gift of discernment just a little bit, but the level that I'm going to talk about most in this series is that second level because that's where most of us are. Probably in the body of Christ the size of Whitley Church, um, we're, we're about 1,500 on a regular basis. Probably, probably over 2,000 people call Whitley Church their church, um, and, but in a body that size, there's probably, and I'm just, I'm just doing a, a Farrell Hardison guess right here, there's probably 30 to 50 people in a body that size who have the gift of discernment. That, that number may be much lower than that. I don't think it would be much higher than that. So we're not going to talk about the spiritual gift of discernment in this series because that would not apply to a vast majority of us. So we're going to talk about that second level that all of us have who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Y'all with me out there? All right. Let's look at discernment in the Scripture. Jesus... Um, is our example in everything, and he's our example in discernment. Jesus was able to know the presence of Satan, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was able to see someone who was influenced by Satan, Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31. And Jesus knew when someone's words were influenced by Satan, Matthew 16, 23. So these are just three examples of Jesus discerning. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, duh, that was Jesus. But guys, he came to be an example for us. And so that was the gift of discernment in operation, okay? Now, not only did he have discernment, but we see John operating in discernment, 1 John 4, 1. Paul operating in discernment, Acts 16. Ringo, I'm just seeing if y'all were listening. George, <laughs> John, Paul, Peter, 
Acts 5, 1 through 11, the disciples, we see them functioning in uh, discernment in Matthew 10 and 1. So these are just a few examples. There are many more. These are just a few examples of discernment in the scripture. Now let's talk just a little bit about gifts, spiritual gifts, and let's talk about the gift of discernment in particular. So we're going to go to kind of a lengthy portion of scripture and just kind of walk through that. Y'all ready this morning? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin with verse 4. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. Now, let me just say something about that. Um, If you go through the Bible from first page Genesis to last page Revelation, you're probably going to find somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 distinct spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. And we'll go through some of them today. The thing that I want to say to you this morning is that I don't believe that there is a comprehensive list of gifts in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where it goes, there are 30 spiritual gifts, that's all there are, this is it, no more. The Bible just kind of mentions about 30 spiritual gifts, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, there's a little bit of debate about that, but uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible. Let me tell you some gifts that I think are spiritual gifts that aren't mentioned in the Bible, and that's the reason I point this out. Because just because you don't see your spiritual gift in the Bible, that doesn't mean it isn't a spiritual gift. Did you know that music is not listed in the Bible as a spiritual gift? How many of y'all believe some people have the gift of, of music and worship? Sure. And that's not mentioned. So, so it's important that you understand that because if you try to just categorize yourself in those 28, 30 gifts that are mentioned and you don't see yours there, you're going to feel like you're left out. So there's not a comprehensive list, list of gifts in the Bible. There are different spiritual gifts. Let's read it again. Now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of how many of them? All of them. Now when the Bible says all, it really means Excellent. Verse 5. There are different kinds of service in the church. How many of y'all know we have a ton of people here at Whitley Church at the bridge who have the gift of service? These are people who work behind the scenes. These are people who are not up on the stage. Can I tell you that those people are probably more important, at least just as important as the people who are on the stage, probably more important. Did y'all know that behind these sheetrock walls, there are steel beams holding this roof up over our head? You say, well, I can't see them. I know you can't see them, but boy, are they important. Because if all of a sudden the only thing holding up this huge, heavy metal roof was sheetrock, we wouldn't all be looking so good right now, okay? So you, some of you are like that, like that steel beam that's behind the sheetrock. You're holding the roof up. You're holding the church up. I got to tell you something, man, and I'm not trying to manipulate anybody here. I'm telling you, people who have the gift of service are what keeps a church moving forward and growing and reaching the lost. It's, I love the people on the stage. I are one, but I want to tell you, it is those metal beams behind the sheetrock that nobody sees. They're the ones that hold the roof up. 
When you walk in here and you see those guys out there uh, in the parking lot and you see those girls behind the coffee shop and you see those people working in the nursery and you see people just serving. Look, we got people during the week who just serve. I mean, they don't, it's not a ministry. They're not under some category of ministry. They just know that, that God has called them to help people that are struggling and going through tough times. And they'll often call and say, is there anybody who needs a visit? Is there anybody who needs me? Is there anybody who needs some love or needs some counseling or needs some care? And I love these people and I thank God for these people. And one of the things that's holding most churches back is that the people sitting on the pews think they've come to be served rather than to serve. And so, and so, Service is mentioned here, and I didn't mean to preach on it that long. And if I preach on every verse that long, we're going to be here till tomorrow. So let's read verse 5 again. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is, but it is the same Lord. I got a little nervous right there. But it is the same Lord we are what? Serving. You're not serving me. Now, in a sense, you are serving me, and in a sense, when you come to church and you work in the coffee shop or you work back at the Guest Welcome Center or you work over here or you're one of those people who kind of goes out during the week and drops by to see the elderly and those who are broken and those who are... In a sense, you are serving them, but ultimately, you're serving the king. You're serving the Lord, and he takes note. Verse 6, there are different ways God works in our lives. That's why you can't look at somebody and say, I don't believe that person right there does anything in the church. You better be careful. They might be one of those people who are calling out here on Monday going, how can I, how can I help somebody? How can I bless somebody? You say, well, I, I just don't ever see them in the nursery or I don't ever see them working in kids' church. Or, well, maybe they're not. Maybe their service isn't on Sunday morning. Y'all with me? Be careful being critical. Anybody can criticize. Doesn't take much size to criticize. Anybody can do it. Don't judge people. Don't look at people and go, I've decided they're not doing anything for the Lord. You don't know. We have people who operate in the gift of intercession in this church, and while you're asleep, they're praying for you. I'll take that. I'll take some of that. I don't know of anything more powerful that could be going on in our church than that while we're asleep or while we're out to dinner or while we're having a good time with our family, there's some people interceding for us. If you're on the prayer team, prayer ministry team, will you stand up right now? Let me just see you. We don't ever get to see you guys. Can we give it up for these folks right here? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And that's not all of them. Some of them are serving in other places, and some of them come to the second service, go to the bridge. Let's go to verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to how many of us? Now, all of us have one. At least one spiritual gift. Have you ever seen people who have several? Just want to slap them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, when God was giving gifts out, somebody bumped his elbow and it's like, boom, you know, sing and preach and know how to do computers and know how just creative and thank God for those people. But all of you have one gift. You say, Pastor, I don't think we've met because I don't have one. You do. You do have a gift. And look, it is so important that you do the right thing with it that one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to ask you what you did with it. 
You say, is that going to determine whether I go to heaven or not? No, you'll already be in heaven when he asks you that question, but you better have a good answer. He might send you back out. No, he's not going to send you back out. I just did that to scare you. Okay. Once you're in, you're in, baby. Amen. I ain't coming back. When I die, don't pray for me to come back. I'll be looking at Jesus going, no, no. Pray for no resurrection for me. Um, but all of us have one gift. You say, well, I don't know what mine is. Well, there's a couple of things you need to do. Number one, you need to take class 301. We have a class in our church called 301, Discovering Your Spiritual Gift. Where's Jeff? Jeff, where you at? Stand up, Jeff. That's Jeff Elmore right there. Jeff teaches 301 in our church. <clears throat> now, I'm going to preach to you. We had his class this past Monday night, and we had about 13 that had signed up, and two came. I'm about to come down there where y'all sit. Y'all hear me? We can't do that, guys. You sign up for a class in this church, we got babysitters out here to take care of your kids. You can't sign up and then not show up. Can I preach like this? I think I just did. You got to show up when you sign up. I see a, That's a banner right there. Show up when you sign up. Glory, glory. You know, I mean, just... That guy right there is an incredible teacher, an awesome teacher of the Word of God. And what he's going to do is lead you through a process that's not going to identify your gift, but it's going to put you in a place where you know the things you're really, really good at and the things you're passionate about and your experiences kind of lead in that direction and your abilities and all of that. And he's going to help you with that. And it's a great class and it's not boring and it's very exciting. And you go through a little, you go through a little process where you answer some questions about yourself and it kind of points you in a direction. And then you're left at the end of the class to get up with God and say, God, I want to know what my, your will for my life is. Now listen. Some of you come to me and go, the reason I'm not serving in the church is God just hadn't shown me where to serve yet. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. Don't come say that to me or I'm just going to stare at you. You ever said something to somebody and you thought it was so good and they just go, I'm going to do that to you. Because the way you find out what God wants you to do is you do something. I just don't know where they need me. Come, let me take your hand. I will lead you where we need you. See, if you're willing to change a diaper in the nursery, God looks down at that and goes, I think he'll do about anything. And God loves it when people will do anything. I'll tell you something. I, I thank God for the growth of our church, and I thank God for where we are. But I tell you something, there's never going to come a day Farrell Hardison can't set up a table or set up a chair or throw a tablecloth on a table or even go in a nursery and help Miss Millie change a barn burner. <laughs> I'm not too good for that. I'm not too good for that. Now, when I know big, sweaty, heavy jobs are coming up, I normally schedule my prayer time right around that same time. So a lot of times I'm not able to come, but it's in my heart. I'm with them in spirit. Y'all with me out there? When you're willing to serve anywhere, that's when God starts showing you particular calling in your life. But when you sit back and go, well, when he shows me, I'll do it. You're never going to know. And then when you stand in front of him and he goes, what did you do with the gift I gave you? You're going to be embarrassed. 
Because looking at him going, you never showed me what it was, he's going to give you the stare, and it ain't nothing like my stare. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's serious, guys. You say, well, well, he's a big church. Y'all don't need me. Well, if you don't think we need you, first of all, that's totally wrong. Go somewhere where you think they need you and get to work. Amen. Man, that's good preaching right there. Make, make me a CD of this. I want to listen to it later. <laughs> Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to how many of us? Each one of us as a means of helping the entire church. That ought to be your motivation for serving. That ought to be your motivation of not look at me. Sometimes I can't see Jesus because the person in front of me is acting in such a way that all I can see is that person. It's for the church. When you serve, it isn't about you. It isn't about you getting the spotlight. It isn't about you getting the glory. It is about the church. Verse 8. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. What would that be? The gift of wisdom. To another, he gives the gift of special knowledge. That would be the gift of knowledge. The Spirit gives special faith, the gift of faith to another. And to someone else, he gives the power to what? Heal the sick. He gives one person, verse 10, the power to perform miracles, gift of miracles, and the ability to prophesy, the gift of uh, prophecy, which can be in preaching, it can be in teaching. Um, there's a young woman in our church who God uh, last week when we were casting vision, God gave her a word about our church, and we're going to be sharing that with you. I believe that God gives people words to share, but I think if you don't do it scripturally, it can become a circus in the church. And also, when prophecy uh, gets out of control, everybody's got to have a word before they can walk out the door in the morning to just live their life. I've been to churches like that. Where have you go? I'll, I'll never forget, I had a college professor in Bible college, and this lady who was just always looking for a vision and always, you know, you couldn't get her in the Bible, but she always wanted a vision, always wanted to, y'all know people like that? They come to the second service. And she walked up to my college professor and she said, God told me you have a word for me. And I'll never forget what he did. He went, no. You know, most pastors, you know, would have said, yay, unto thee I speak, unto thee I say, yay, my child. I love that answer. Mm, no, I don't have anything. <laughs> Ain't getting nothing here, you know. Honesty, man, honesty. And then here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. We're in verse 10, here it comes. He gives someone else the ability to know whether it is really the Spirit of God or another spirit that is speaking. There's discernment. Right there is discernment. 
He gives some the ability to know whether it is really the Spirit of God or another spirit that is speaking. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, and another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Verse 11, it is the one, it is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. Look at that. He alone decides which gift each person should have. All right? So how do I know? How do I check and see if I have the gift of discernment? Or how do I check and see if I even have discernment operating in my life? Well, let's look at some evaluation questions. And I'll go through these quickly because we need to close. Y'all have made preaching too fun for me. Thought I was going to not feel this good, so I'm feeling better. So I'm feeling like, you know, this could go on. But all right, not true. (laughs) Thank you. All right, let's look at some evaluation questions. Have you ever felt the special responsibility to protect the truth of God's word by exposing that which is wrong? I mean, are you a person who, when something false is taught or something false is said, sometimes a teacher may not be as educated as they need to be, or maybe they have misinterpreted a scripture, maybe their their false teaching is not malice, it's ignorance. Amen? And so, but when you heard it, you know that that's not right right there. That's not what that verse means. It's not what that verse means. And so, so you want to get that corrected. You want to get, you want to make sure that's corrected. You just feel a real strong urge to make sure that doesn't go out there and just stay out there like that because it's not true. Y'all with me? So if you feel a, if you feel a real passion about that, there's a possibility that discernment the gift or just discernment as a believer is working in your life. This one is good. This next one good. Do you often make swift and accurate evaluations? Now, when, when evaluations are swift and accurate, more than likely that's the gift of discernment. Y'all with me? That's that third level, okay? But that can work also in just a Christian who is functioning in discernment to make swift and accurate evaluations of someone or something that was said that others did not see, but it proved uh, uh, later what you felt and what you saw there proved to be correct. Your evaluation proved to be correct. Um, Don't point at anybody when I say this, but have you ever just had somebody come up to you and they're saying all the right things and they really look like, but there's just something in you that's going, something isn't right right here. You ever had that? Now, you can't always just buy right into that. You want to pray about that because I felt that way about some folks I've run into from time to time and I later was wrong about them. So prayer follows that discomfort. You don't just accept that discomfort. You pray after you feel that discomfort and let God settle that in you. Usually, if you've picked up on something that is a threat to the church or a threat to your family or a threat to your children spiritually or a threat to you spiritually, usually you will sense it, but then as you pray, it just will not go away. It just stays right there. And that's when you begin to ask God, God, what do I do? What do I say? How do I handle that? Am I making any sense up here? Here's the third question. Do you have a solid understanding of Scripture and sensitivity to the leading of God, the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't believe God's going to work a spiritual gift through a lazy person. Here's what I mean by that. 
You may have the gift of discernment, but God isn't going to work it through you if you're too lazy to study your Bible. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. And I know people who are real spiritual, but they don't know their Bible. And when you don't know your Bible and you're not willing to study your Bible and you're not willing to get a good foundational understanding of your Bible, then the gift you have, God isn't going to function in that gift because you're going to be functioning out of ignorance. You've got to know the Word. You've got to know the Word. Fourth question, are you keenly aware of moral sin and doctrinal heresy? Okay, I could talk about all these. The, the last one is, can you read a book or hear a teacher and almost immediately under, uh, uncover false doctrine in it? These are questions that if you say yes to these, then the gift of discernment, or, or discernment rather, supernatural discernment, second level, is functioning in your life, and possibly third level, gift of discernment. Okay? All right. I believe the biggest problem in the church today, as I, as I close this message, I believe the biggest problem in the church today is the absence of discernment. And let me just describe to you what I mean. I am concerned in my heart this morning as I look at the church world and as I look at our own church, because as I stand up here and preach to you every weekend, ladies and gentlemen, it falls upon my shoulders to make sure we are preaching the truth in this church and we're telling the truth in this church. Not saying things that, that make people react in certain ways or I get the feedback I want to get, but to be able to stand here every week and say to you the truth of God's word, okay? But Christians today, one of the things that really troubles me is Christians today uh, are just too open to accepting wrong theology. As I observe the church, I see Christians who are prone to believe the wrong teaching and are unwise about who they follow, who they listen to, and who they read behind. The area of weakness, this area of weakness, is very typical in the contemporary evangelical church. Too many Christians today, uh, in the lives of too many Christians today, there is a lack of clear thinking and precise thinking. There's a lack of consistency and a lack of concern about real truth. Now, I don't want us to become a nitpicking church. I don't, I don't want us to become um, a church that just nitpicks every little thing every little teacher says. That's not what I'm talking about. I think that's pharisaical. So there is that balance between being nitpicking and just trying to find something wrong in everything everybody does and everything anybody says, and then that other position that's on the other end that says, hey man, who am I to judge? There is that balance. And balance comes with intimacy with God and knowledge of the scripture. Everybody say that with me. Intimacy with God and knowledge of the scripture. That's how you reach that balance. So you're not over here being that super theologian that nitpicks every little thing a preacher says or every little thing a preacher does because here's what that will do to you. That will isolate you as a church and you get the idea that nobody knows the Bible but us and we're the only ones preaching the truth and that is not true. There are many good Bible-believing churches in our community. 
And we're not going to become one of those isolated churches that just kind of looks down on everybody else because we're the only ones who know the real truth. Y'all with me out there? If I was sitting out there, I'd want my preacher to preach this. The theology of many churches, though, has become a mixture. It's a mixture listening to anybody and everybody and reading anything and everything and making no particular judgments. When I was a boy, we used to sing a hymn in the church, and in that hymn, there were two words that that read, without alloy. Without alloy. And I remember as a little boy, I'd stand in church, and we'd sing that, and I would sing, without alloy, you know. That's pretty good, wasn't it? And, uh, And I remember one day going, I love that song, what is that word? How many of you know what alloy is? It is a mixture of metals. It is a mixture. Aluminum is an alloy. It's a mixture of metals. It's no one. That's that's what we can't become. We can't become here a mixture of any and everything so that we pretty much say yes to any and everybody about what you want to believe and who you are. And, And then what's crept into the church is this political correctness thing where we can't even preach against false doctrine because we get back sometimes, and I thank God for you all that I don't hear that here very much at all. And usually if I do hear something like this, it's usually a new person or a person who just really doesn't even know Christ yet, and they come up angry after I get through preaching because I've talked about the false doctrine and the false teaching of some you know, in our community and on the TV and that kind of thing. But I want to tell you something. Uh, um, we're just living in a time when people, uh, uh, when a pastor takes a stand in the pulpit and makes a judgment as it relates to truth or heresy, he is labeled as judgmental, or he's labeled as intolerant, or he's labeled as unchristian. We hear cliches like, well, I don't really agree with them, but you can't put God in a box. Oh, yeah, you can put him in a box. It's called the Holy Bible. He doesn't get out of that box. But there's a lot of room in that box. And we come up with little cliches like, who am I to judge? And, you know, God showed himself to me one way, but he might show himself to that guy in another way. Not according to my Bible. Not according to my scripture that I read that Jesus said. And the church is bought into this. And we're offended sometimes when the pastor stands in the pulpit or somebody else stands in a pulpit and says, ladies and gentlemen, that's wrong doctrine right there. That's false doctrine right there. And I don't know if that person's giving it to you because they're evil or they're giving it to you because they're ignorant, but it really doesn't matter. You don't need to believe that right there. And when preachers stand in the pulpit in these last days and say stuff like that, they'll get confronted In the modern church, there's too much gullibility. Anything and everything's being accepted and followed by who am I to judge or question anybody's view of the truth. I tell you who you are. You're a child of the living God who has possession of the truth of the Bible. You tell a tree by the fruit it bears. So it seems to me that if there's one particular threat to the church that rises above all other threats, it is this growing lack of spiritual discrimination. Now, in this sermon series, we're going to talk about and confront bad decisions and faulty reasoning and superficial understanding and shallow knowledge, biblical ignorance and 
Spiritual gullibility. We've already talked about some of that in the message today, and we'll continue it. A lack, listen, a lack of discernment in the local church contributes to the overall weakness of that church, and it makes that church vulnerable to the attack of the enemy and the deception of the enemy. So we must preach on this. Let me read a quote to you. I wrote this down that I just thought this was a a powerful quote. It would be better for the church to be persecuted than to abandon truth. It would be better for the church to be persecuted than for the church to abandon truth. When you study church history, this writer says, there is no question that the lack of discernment, the lack of discrimination, and the lack of precision regarding the truth has cost the church far more than all the persecutions of the church combined. He says, you show me a persecuted church and I'll show you a church that clings to the truth. You show me an affluent, flourishing, comfortable church and I'll show you a church that easily abandons the truth. Persecution has taken its toll on lives, but it always strengthens the church because it strengthens our grip on the truth. Let me tell you where this is true. It is true in the nation of China. There are no hypocrites in China. If you're serving Jesus in China, your life's on the line. So there aren't any hypocrites in the church in China. And can I tell you that there is a revival going on in China? Can I tell you it is being led by the teenagers? I mean, there is a revival going on in China. I wish I'd have brought the video clip If I'd I'd known I was going to talk about this, I would have, but Fox News ran a a story recently talking about this overwhelming tsunami of the Spirit of God that is washing over that country, and they can't stop it. Mao Zedong, is that his name? (laughs) What's his name? (laughs) Mousy, Mousy. It's like Hosni, Husni, whatever. Anyway. I know some of y'all are out there going, I think his cold medicine just kicked in, honey. Uh, whoever that guy, yeah, Mousy Tongue's a guy in the past, the present guy. What's it? Y'all don't know either. Okay. Uh, anyway, he can't stop it, man. Revival's happening. Let me tell you something. There are churches that are meeting in the forest of China, in the woods, that number 5,000. And the people preach, and then the people on the front turn around and tell the people behind them, and they turn around and tell the people behind them. There is a revival in China, a revival in China going on. And guys, they don't don't have false doctrine, man. They they just preach it raw and right. Because when your life's on the line, You're not walking around going, well, you know, in my opinion, I just feel this way about that scripture. Can I tell you, you don't need to ever have a Bible study with somebody and read a verse and go, let's just all tell what that verse means to me. That's scary stuff. That's dangerous. It doesn't matter what it means to you. What matters is what it means. Because a lot of people go, well, that verse means to me, and then they water it down so it doesn't bring any conviction in their life. I'm preaching now. So there is this 
battle. If you read the literature of the Bible from the beginning to the end, the Lord makes it very clear there are two primary sources available to us in the world today. It is the truth of God and the lie of the enemy. We live in a world where truth and lies are in constant conflict. It started all the way back in Genesis when that serpent looked at Eve and said, did God really say that? Come on. And he begins to influence Eve to question God's word. And then he says, you won't surely die. He basically is looking at her going, God lied to you when he said you die. I'm telling you, you're not going to die. The reason God doesn't want you to eat this fruit is because you're going to be just like him if you eat it. Lies, lies, lies. Did Eve need some discernment right then? And let me tell you something. That same serpent lies to you every single day, and you need to pray. Here's what I hope will happen in this series, is that you will pray in this series, Dear God, help me for my family's sake, for my children's sake. Help me to be one who discriminates between truth and error. You see, we're talking about building a building back there. It ain't about the building. It's about, it's about having the tools we need here to preach the truth to people and to preach the truth to our children. And I gotta tell you mamas and daddies out there, it is not the responsibility of this church to make sure your child gets the truth in them. It's your job. We're just along beside you to help you and assist you in that. Two systems in the world, truth and lies. So does it really matter we sort it out? Does it really matter that we come to the truth? My answer to that is yes, it does matter. Let me just mention some ways it matters. It matters for your own life. It matters for the honor and the glory of God that you declare his truth and not your version of it. It matters for all the people that you influence. And it matters that you influence them with the truth. Father, cover this church. <clears throat> cover this church, Lord Jesus. That we will not become one of those churches that is a melting pot of all kinds of doctrines and beliefs where we say everything's okay and everybody's okay because God, that's not love. Now we're being told that's love when you just accept all doctrine and all beliefs and all. No, that's not love. Love is when you look at a person and go, that's not true. Here's the truth. Here's what Jesus said. If I don't love people, I let them believe anything they want to. If I love them, I say, no, no, this, here's what Jesus said. That's love. But we're being told by the world today that if we preach truth, that we're harsh, that we're hateful, that we're mean-spirited. No, no, that's love. If my child is about to walk out into the street and get run over by a car, I'm not being harsh by saying that is a wrong thing to do. That is a wrong direction to go in. Your belief that you can play out in that road with the traffic, your belief is wrong about that. That is a hatefulness. That is love for my child. God, let us, let us grasp the importance of this. No, I don't want to become a nitpicking pharisaical church. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. 
But God, I don't want to be one of those loosey-goosey churches that everybody comes to and everybody's on a big high all the time and we accept all kinds of... Because what that's going to do, when you do that, the enemy is welcomed in and he brings division and destruction and he leads people to hell. It is the Bible calls it the doctrine of demons. I didn't call it that. Your word calls it the doctrine of demons. We cannot allow the doctrine of demons in our church. No matter how pretty it looks, no matter how right it looks, if it doesn't measure up to the word of God, it is my responsibility first, then it is the responsibility of every believer in this church to stand for truth. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. We're gonna pray with you this morning if you would like to have prayer. If you would like to uh, talk to us about Jesus and his place in your life, we would love to talk to you and, and, and pray with you. If you have questions about the Bible or questions about the message, we'll hang around up here at the front and talk to you. But we're so glad you came today. If you're one of our guests, pick up your gift before you leave. Guys, don't forget to sign up for all the things coming up. We love you so much. God bless you and thanks for coming.